Hello everyone and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast brought to you by the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. Opposite me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Ola Washina Okaleji, sports journalist for the BBC, contributor to World Soccer Magazine, Al Jazeera and many, many more. Sheena, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I feel like um, the Higu among the Lions, huh? <laughs> well, uh, today, Sheena, we uh, we go back to the 2013 Africa Cup of Nations quarterfinal between Nigeria and Ivory Coast that ended 2-1 to the Super Eagles. Sheena, why have you why have you chosen this match? Well, I think um, this game has um, a very huge significance to Nigeria winning their third African Cup of Nations. Um, luckily, Jonathan was there and um, it wasn't a tournament that started very well for Nigeria. And Ivory Coast made it to the finals in 2012 before 2013. And for Nigeria, after they wobbled and struggled to get into the quarterfinal stage, they've been reading off. The coach um, was um, really under severe pressure. He was on his way out. People had written the team off. But that this particular game, changed the fortunes of the Super Eagles, the fortunes of Coach Stephen Keshi and some of the players that he took to the African Cup of Nations in 2013. Mm. Um, Jonathan, the, the, the tournament was, was hosted in South Africa that year. And, and, and as Shida says, you know, Zambia obviously won the previous tournament 2012 with Nigeria not, not qualifying at all. Ivory Coast finished runners-up. Um, and so uh, this was this was this this tournament happened a year later from the 2012 uh, tournament. Of course, every, every year that the, the tournament is every, it's every two years. Sorry, should I say? Um, what, what were you thinking going into this tournament? What did you think of Nigeria? Did you think that they were among the favourites as they often had been? In, in <laughs> I lied. I'd been burned by Nigeria before. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the context of a tournament is, is worth talking about. That they they decided, CAFA decided to, to change the odd numbered years so it wasn't in World Cup years anymore, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I can sort of see the logic of. It created other issues as well. But I, you know, I can see that when it was in a World Cup year, uh, you had players going away to two tournaments in the same year, and that clearly creates all kinds of, all kinds of problems. Um, South Africa stepped in relatively late as hosts. It was meant to be in Libya, and they, they, they switched it around. South Africa had 2017, Libya 2013. They, they swapped them over because Libya never never did host it in 2017 for, for obvious reasons. And one of the consequences of this was that although South Africa obviously had all the stadiums from the World Cup, the pitch in Nelspruit, which is where Nigeria were based, or they were, they were based... What was that place? It was actually the first place, first time we met, wasn't it, Sheena, during this tournament? Mbumbela. They were based in Mbumbela. Yeah, Nesbitt, that's where Nigeria... In Nelspruit, but they, they were in yeah. that little town. Was it called like White Rapids or something? That little town? <laughs> yeah, I've forgotten the name, but I know it's just in some <laughs> some funny hotel, eating somewhere very close to um, a, a reserve or something. I think it was it was a games reserve or somewhere. It was, they were hidden somewhere in there. It's called Mbombela or whatever. Um, yeah, they, well, yeah. And, and Nelspruit are the same place. So that, that, there were two names yeah. for that. But, but this was like, yeah, this small place. I, I think it was, it was something like White Rapids. And I, and I first met you at a Stephen Keshi press conference. And yes. there was the classic Nigeria thing going on of kind of, you looked at the players and it's obviously, yeah, this is a strong squad. But you sort of think, well, we've been saying this every year since 94. And they, they you know, Nigeria at, the, at that time, they won only two Cups of Nations. And if you look at 
the the Nigerians' strength as a football nation, the number of Nigerians who play at the very highest level in Europe, mm. they they should have done a lot better than that. So always with Nigeria, you have this sense of underachievement, kind of dragging the squad down, and that leads. It, it's it's not unlike England, in the sense of there's this great expectation, this great pressure, this sort of sense they don't quite live up to to the ability they have, and that then creates quite a quite a hostile media environment. And yeah, there's, there's, I mean, as an outsider, there's genuinely no sport in the world more fun than a Nigeria press conference. <laughs> Would you share that uh, opinion, Sheena? A Nigerian press conference and the press around the team can be uh, a little bit interesting, to say the least, being a part of it yourself? Absolutely. Um, it's always fierce. Um, it's always um, um, one between the coach and the uh, um, local media who are always being for attention, <laughs> I should say. Um, <laughs> it's always um, tension soaked. Um, everyone has things on their mind. People come into the Nigerian pressers, some with a target for the coach. Um, I think um, back in 1994, we had um, a Dutch coach, the man who led Nigeria to their first Africa. Um, their first World Cup. That's Clemens Vestalov. He said mm. it's um, aptly when he said. Um, in Nigeria, there are 149, uh, 150 million um, coaches, but I am the only technical advisor. So meaning everyone has an opinion on how the team should shape up, who should play, who shouldn't play. So it's always um, fears and um, it's Jonathan is right. I mean, we always call it um, the drama before the Nollywood itself. Because that's where everything <laughs> you, let out. you reap at the coach, you reap at the captain. Everyone wants to let something out. So it's always, it's always one to look forward to. So I mean, the thing I remember about about that first press conference specifically uh, is that uh, Keshi had seen Keshi, the coach, had, had he was his, was was a very a very tough man, a very single minded man. I think if you're going to be coach in Nigeria, you've got to be very very clear in your own. Yeah, you've got to be very confident in your own judgments, and anybody who has lets the slightest doubt creep in, they're going to be drowned in in all, in all you know these 150 million opinions, uh, 150 million opinions expressed very forcibly. Um, but he, he the squad he picked, uh, I think I'm right in saying that there was four four players from Nigerian league in that squad, which which was very controversial at the time, and that was the huge yeah. topic of conversation at first press conference. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Was, how, Sheena, how did you find, um, of course, the the late Stephen Keshi? Now, of course, as Jonathan said, you know, he, you know, he didn't suffer fools really, um, and was was quite the character. How did you personally find him? Um, <laughs> you know, um, unfortunately, Stephen Keshi passed away, so it's yeah. always emotional talking about him um, in cool. the past tense now. Mm. Um, I'm. <laughs> So I have a bias towards Stephen Keshi, um, but a lot of people disagree with this. They always feel like there's always something in my heart that um, I always have against him. But uh, unbeknown to a lot of people, this was a man who singled me out in 1999. I was a young guy on TV. Um, I was always going after the officials, talking about corruption in the system. So um, he took a liking and he invited me. I sat with him in 2000 um, when he was assistant coach to Shaibu Amodu. So that was where we built our relationship from. Um, so by the time he came on, no, in 2012, some of the officials, uh, wait, um, okay, took over in, after we failed to qualify for the AFCON. So in 2011 was when he took over. But prior to that, it was he and Samson Siasia that were um, in, interviewed for the coach. 
someone from the Federation rang me. I had no clue. And they were saying, if you had to choose between um, Stephen Keshi and something Siasia, who would you go for? Um, without blinking, I said Stephen Keshi. They said, why? I said, he's been out there. He's gone to Togo. He's gone to Mali. And um, he's established himself. So I, I, I said to them, I'll go for Stephen Keshi. But, you know, Samson Siasia was riding on his success with the under-20s and the under-23s. So the Federation, in their own wisest um, wisdom or whatever, they they, they, they opted for Samson Siasia. I was already in touch with Stephen Keshi. We were talking um, I met him a few days when he qualified um, Togo for their first AFCON in 2005 in Lome. He invited me to Bamako in Mali. So we sort of built a relationship. But you see, as a journalist, it's always difficult for you to um, to be unbiased, to say this and that. But Stephen Keshi knew where I stand. He, I told him, like, this was why you wanted me to be your friend. This was why you picked me out back then when I was a <laughs> corny young reporter. So... We we built a relationship. Sometimes he, he ran me over. Um, he ran his team squad over uh, with me. We talk about it. Um, you are in Europe, you know. What do you think of this player? I've heard about him. You know, we always have that relationship. But when it comes to the public perception, um, I'm someone who come at him. I'm critical of his team. So he called me his biggest fan and his biggest critic. So it was a mutual relationship and respect between us. So for me, um, whenever I see him at press conference, I really ask him questions because everything I want to ask him, I already know. But sometimes I just feel like, you know what, it's important to do my job and just ask him these questions. So he's a very um, strong-willed guy. He, it's it's Stephen Keshi's way or the highway. He wanted to stamp the authority as the local coach whom the Federation needed to respect. So his choice, I mean, in 2013, like Jonathan pointed out, he left out um, Peter Odenwinge, who didn't like that. And as usual, we know with Peter Odenwinge, he's a keyboard warrior. He went on Twitter, he slammed the coach, <laughs> insulted everyone, criticized, <laughs> criticized the, um, the federation, the coach, the media. And, you know, and people felt Stephen Keshi should have picked Odenwinge. To be honest, in the last two decades, Peter Odenwinge turns out to be the most committed player we've had in the Super Eagles. He was always running. Um, people always said maybe it's the mixed blood in his head. Sometimes he's, he's evil, is good. So when things are going his way, he's um, Peter Odemwinge. When things don't go his way, they see him as the Russian guy who's lost everything. So he's always there. But Keshi stood his ground. He left out um, the likes of Obafemi Martins. Kano Wankwa was on his way out. Okocha had retired. John Otaka was omitted. Sheyo Lofinjano was left out, Yusuf Ayila, all of the players who had built up the Super Eagles. Keshi left them out. He picked six players from the local scene. That didn't go well with the fans. He picked 16th debutant at the African Cup of Nations. People were like, what's wrong with this guy? And um, some people just didn't expect him to do anything, but he stood his ground. So every press conference, that question, like Jonathan pointed out, that question always comes up. This man, are you for us or are you against us? Uh, do you want to win our third AFCON or you want us to just go there and be regarded as the super chickens, a tag that we've left behind? So it was always, it was always that battle with Stephen Keshi, but um, he was his own man. He lived by his words. He lived by his own choices. And um, in 2013, I felt we saw a man that was pushed to the wall. And um, we will come to this game, like you said, but this game against Cote d'Ivoire, for Stephen Keshi, his first professional club outside Nigeria was in Ivory Coast. 
when he was um he was he was banned and you know he had issues and he left the country went to ivory coast he built his reputation there on his way to belgium as a player he had a lot to prove to everyone in nigeria and in africa that he was a top a coach and rustenberg provided him that opportunity a better ground than the Nesprit ground that was only good to take your cow and your, <laughs> and your it was just a terrible ground so when we went to Rustenberg Keshi had the lush ground to play the game that I wanted to play and that's why this game is so important you know, that, that point about the pitch in Nelspert is is a serious one That uh, being generous is because South Africa didn't have much time to prepare for the tournament and and the the it was the pitch had got wet or something and it was a, a a fungal infection, and and there was just no grass on the pitch. It was it was just green sand, and it was a terrible terrible pitch. And you couldn't play football on it. And all the games in Elspeth were were horrendously bad games of football. And I think as a result, uh, we underestimated how good Nigeria were. And there was you know, probably a, a sense of them sort of building as the tournament went on, feeling their way into the tournament. And also, uh, probably the reason Burkina Faso, I mean, although they, they did well in the quarters and the, the semi, but the, reasons that they, the reason that they were able to get through the group was because you couldn't really play football on that pitch. So it was quite easy to defend on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, gentlemen, let's have a quick break, after which we'll talk about uh, the quarterfinal itself from the 2013 Africa Cup of Nations. See you in a minute, everybody. Welcome back to The Greatest Games, everybody. Now, let's talk about uh, the tournament itself. So, Nigeria, they were in Group C in the first round, along with uh, Burkina Faso. You mentioned earlier, Jonathan, Zambia, who were the holders, and Ethiopia. Uh, they drew the first two games, uh, one all with Burkina Faso, a late equaliser from Burkina Faso, and then one all with Zambia, another late equaliser from their opponents. But they beat Ethiopia 2-0 with two late goals of their own from Victor Moses, both penalties. And, and Sheena, were, were people concerned uh, with Nigeria's, I suppose you, one could perceive it as a slow start, drawing their, their first two games and then leaving it late to beat Ethiopia? Um, absolutely. Um, you know, that draw, 1-1 draw against Burkina Faso, another boring 1-1 draw defending champion Zambia, <laughs> you know, that followed. And then, you know, angry fans were calling for the sack of the coach. They wanted the federations to, um, officials to, to just quit. Um, something that would never happen in Nigeria anyway. Um, so, you know, like the story in the Bible, <laughs> Moses two late penalties, you know, <laughs> against Ethiopia sealed um, a second place finish in the group. And, you know, that's, um, that's quarterfinal against Ivory Coast um, they, in, in Rustenberg because they played Ethiopia in Rustenberg, I think. So they had to tr- travel back and forth to Ethiopia. And they, the sense among the Nigerian fans was that um, Stephen Keshi ruled his luck against Ethiopia. Um, the team didn't really look convincing. Um, the, the the fans were actually now calling for those players left out, saying, "Look, it's 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 clear now that the coach didn't know exactly what to do." So there there was you know the the hair of um, pessimism around the team. You know, mm-hmm. usually Nigerian fans would go into games you know being optimistic and all that, but now they were just angry bitter, angry, upset. Um, they wanted Keshi gone. <laughs> so um, no one really thought the Super Eagles could manage to come into that game and do what they did. Guess what? Before this game, um, they had absolutely um, booked tickets for the team to return to Nigeria um, wow. on the night of the game against Ivory Coast. <laughs> 
officials just said, you know what, um, we don't want to waste too much money, spending money on hotels, players changing their tickets. Um, they call the welfare officer, boom, get the tickets for everyone, find out where they are going from here, get them away from South Africa that night. So that's why, that's um, like Jonathan said, the group game actually gave Nigeria um, the chance to actually book an early flight for the Eagles. I mean, it's, it's, worth, it's worth pointing out, if, if a, that game against Ethiopia, Moses' first penalty is the 80th minute. Mm. If that doesn't go in, Nigeria go out on yellow cards. Mm. Zambia would have gone through on yellow cards because, and then you, you mentioned their late equaliser. What you didn't mention was that was a penalty taken by their goalkeeper, Kennedy Mwine. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it, it's, it's going to be one of the great farces. I mean, Nigerian football is full of these magnificent farces, but this is going to be one of the biggest ones. <laughs> and then, fortunately for, for them, unfortunately for Keshi, Moses gets those two late penalties and so they go through. But, you know, the Ivory Coast um, were clear favourites of that game. Yeah. But partly because they'd been playing in Rustenburg where the pitch was better. But, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd beaten Togo. Uh, they, they'd beaten Tunisia very convincingly. They, they played a second string side against Algeria, gone 2-0 down, drawn 2-2. Um, they, and, and, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, as, as well as Nigeria, maybe even more than Nigeria, had this sense of unfulfilled potential. That, that, you know, they'd only won the Couple of Nations once, which was back in '92, so two years before Nigeria's, um, were, you know, were the champions for the, for the last time before this tournament. Yeah, the second time, the last time before this tournament. Um, and you know, they had their golden generation of mm-hmm. Drogba and the Toure's and Javinho and Kalu, um, Abue, uh, Sheikh Tiote. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's a it's a genuinely one of you know one of the great great generations of of African footballers. And yeah, you know, there was a definite sense that time was running out, and of course they would then win it under your great mate Everena two years later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this really felt like because to be honest, by 2015 they were past their best. Mm-hmm. You know, Drogba had gone by then. Yeah, you know, this this felt like this is this is it. This is last chance saloon for for Cote d'Ivoire, and mm-hmm. it's always last chance saloon for Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, they, they just can't drink anywhere else. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, but but, but extraordinary that, that as you say, when you when you look at it like that, that Nigeria have disappointed. You know, semi final seemed to be their ceiling. They hadn't been in the final since the year two thousand, and bearing in mind the tournament was every two years up until two thousand and twelve. Obviously, we talked about that earlier. That that year change, it, it had been quite disappointing. And this was Ivory Coast, and it was like surely now. Here's a Nigeria side that have already booked their plane tickets home uh, that we just found out and. And and it, obviously it didn't go that way. I mean, going into the game, Sheena, you must have feared for Nigeria, um, and uh, you probably wouldn't have thought that they would end up winning it two one. Absolutely, um, you know they went into the game with um, a lot of um, authenticity as well, um, because Keshi um, had tried out everything he wanted to do. The focal point going into that tournament was. Um, Striker Ikechuku Uche, um, you know, he just re- he returned from two back-to-back, um, you know, um, ACL injuries, and he fired Nigeria as top. He was the top scorer during qualifying, but against, um, uh, you know, in the group stage, he didn't really fire. And Keshi's tactical game was he wanted power play. He wanted players who could actually give you power because he's been in African football for so long. People always say Nigerians are physical, but when you look at the Ivorians and the Cameroonians, then you know Nigerians are really, really not physical. They, are just, they just have the flair. So Ike Chukuche, yeah. one of the you know best players in the squad, 
with the flair and you know ability to turn his marker and do things, but he couldn't perform in Nesprit, and then he came um, into this game with so much. Um, Keshi just wanted to do things differently, so people didn't really expect so much. Uh, like I said, the fans were already you know tearing the team apart. Um, so-called experts were dissecting what went wrong on the eve of the game, and then on the match on match day, the local radio stations in Nigeria. They are saying how the coach should never come near the national team ever again. Um, <laughs> Avirena, who didn't even make it to the quarterfinals, was being spoken to. Um, the federation had gone to Avirena. They wanted him to replace Keshi. Um, Keshi heard about all of this because, like I said, he was close to a lot of people. He, he was close to power. He knew exactly what was going on. Um, I, I couldn't verify this story, but I understand that Avirena put a call across to him and said to him, look, your people are speaking to me. <laughs> um, and he knew about this and um, he was aware that they wanted him out. So it was kind of uh, a game you go into. Your fans are against you. The media wanted you out. Your federations are going behind your back. The welfare officer had been ordered to buy you tickets. Secretary had already started sorting out bonus for your previous game. The bonus for this match you're about to play had already been taken back to the FA. Uh, because they expect you to go home empty-handed. So all of these things stack against you. John Mikel Obi came out and said, you know, before the game, are saying a lot of people have written us off, but we want to prove to them we're better. Stephen Keshi himself just came out and said, I want to go and play football. The rest of the story going on, I don't want to know. Um, we just want to play. It's Nigeria against Ivory Coast. That is what is in front of me. You know, some people were baiting him. Are you going to quit? Are you going to resign? after this game, you know, but, you know, I think they were just testing fates and um, that was exactly what happened. And the fans, I think they had all given up. Everyone just rolled the team off and there was a sense of nothing was going to happen. The Super Eagles were definitely flying on. Yeah, well, the pressure was then taken off inadvertently, I suppose, Jonathan. And um, and so that was a helping hand. And also in, in, the, in the actual match itself, um, Nigeria perhaps given a little helping hand or or, or, <laughs> or not given a helping hand. I don't know quite how to word it when Bubakar Barry's involved. Oh, but, poor uh, Bubakar Barry. Yeah, who would be the hero uh, uh, two years later? He was the hero two years later. I mean, I, and, and, which makes it one of the great stories. And I'm glad. Yeah. I'm delighted for him. And I was. Yeah. I'd spent I'd spent so many years. I'd spent like a decade writing about this Ivorian team. It's from from two to eleven. It's brilliant, but it's number one. It really isn't at the same level as the rest. And he, yeah, he was just this goalkeeper who had this habit of making. Yeah, he he made good saves, but he also just had this terrible habit of making terrible mistakes. And then, fa- yeah. thankfully, he you know, he scored a penalty in the shootout and saved saved a couple of penalties in the shootout against Ghana in in 2015. So he was a hero when they finally won it. But this game, so in mean, the first the first half, there's not a huge amount happens. There's a couple of long range mm. efforts, which I don't know if Nigeria were deliberately targeting Barry if they if they sort of thought, yeah, he he he's the weak spot there. But Moses and Emenike both had decent chances. And then it's just before half time, so I think forty third minute, they get a free kick, and it's miles out. It's at least thirty yeah. yards out. <laughs> a classic tap it to the side to take the wall out of the equation. And Emenek, I mean Emenek really catches it. He strikes yeah. it absolutely beautifully. It's a great hit, but it's very but central. It, it's very central. It does swerve slightly, but it doesn't even swerve that late. Was I, it a Jabalani? That's what it I wasn't a Jabalani. No. They're still using the Jabalani footballs, maybe. And Bubakar <laughs> Barry sort of puts his fists up, and it. Just misses them and goes into the back of the net. And at first, you look at it and you think that's a brilliant goal because you just see how hard he's hit it. And then you see the replay. You think, oh God, Bubakar, you've done it again. 
<laughs> Paul Barry. Um, but it was 1-0, uh, Sheena. They, they, they went ahead and, and went in at half-time with a surprising one-goal lead. You probably were, were were in disbelief at this point, maybe. Yeah, um, I think um, around the me- media centre, also in the media tribune, some of the fans, um, some of the journalists were just asking questions like, what's going on with Ivory Coast? I think a lot of credit should go to Stephen Keshi. He had his yeah. game plan and a lot of, I think people took their eyes off the Nigerian side because of all the things we've talked about, their inability to convince people that they were really a super eagles. Um, and Keshi, for for all of the criticism, this was one match that he got his tactics spot on. So what he realized was that, you know, the, the fiscality of the likes of Yaya, Romaric, and Didier Zokora in the midfield. So what, what he did was try to you know, um, cut out the, the energetic um, um, dominance of the Ivory Coast in the in midfield. You had a player like Mogenyo um, Nazi, tiny player compared to Yaya Toure. Yaya Toure's ties alone could sit him down on the floor, floor him completely. But Nigeria were just denying them of the ball. They didn't let them really dominate play. And, you know, um, the, the, the way Ivory Coast came back was a shocker because um, I think... Sabri Lamushi must have discovered during the first half that um, the likes of Didi Drogba, who you would expect to be physical, were really caught out. For that freaky, Jonathan, I don't know if you remember, um, Drogba was the one taking the set piece and then um, rather than contesting the header like you would expect in the box. So it wasn't really anything tactical in my opinion, but I just thought like maybe they found out that, look, Didi Drogba could have the ball all day. Kenneth Omero will kick him out. Obuabona will kick him away. And he just couldn't get the ball to him. So he went and took the free kick. And Sheikh Tiote, God bless his soul, with that leveler. And then the, the, the story switched again all of a sudden. Fans who were already dancing and singing yeah. now said, OK, we've said it. This team is yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have to go home. Keshi, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Like, you sit down there and you, you could hear the Nigerian supporters club. This guys at the official supporters club but they had given up already and they started saying no no Keshi what are you doing Keshi wasn't on the pitch of uh, wasn't on the pitch but you know he had to be the target man but yeah I mean that, that was that was sort of my reaction as well that kind of I'd expected the avoidance to be much better than they'd been in the first half I think you're absolutely right I think that because it was sort of a, a 4-3-3 come 4-2-3-1 wasn't it that sort of that yes. hybrid midfield so you had an Aussie sitting deep with um, with uh, Nickel John Obi sort of alongside him and pushing forward and then Sunday and Bar, who who had a brilliant tournament, and he really vindicated Keshi's faith in him because he was one of those domestic-based players. Um, he was where was he? Was it Wari Wolves at the time? I think. Yeah, he was. He got Wally out Wally alone. Wally. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but he you know he he had an outstanding tournament. And the three of them in the middle of midfield, you know, none of them. You know, if you look at their, their direct counterparts of Evrimerek, Yaya and Chekteote, yeah, you would say the Avoyans are, are better in each position, but the unit was able to kind of, yeah, you know, to, to keep a lid on them. And I think you're right as well about Drogba. I think by this stage of his career, Drogba was not the physical player he'd been 10 years earlier. He'd learned how to, you know, he, he was technically also very good, but he's a different type of forward. And he he was physically being being overwhelmed by the two Nigerian centre-backs. And then he actually, you know, he wins, it's what, five minutes after half-time, he wins the free kick out on the left. And it's, it is a one free kick. I mean, it is a foul, but he's won it, you know. He, he turns and he knows exactly where the defender's leg is and he goes over it. And then he takes the free kick. And it was such a soft goal because there was, you know, three Ivorians queuing up at the back post. Check Tiote who heads it in. And you, I, I don't know, I, I as a sort of neutral was thinking, ah, that's Nigeria's chance gone. 
Soft goal just after half time. Ivorians are back in it. But actually, it wasn't like that at all. It, it then played out exactly as the first half had played out. Yeah, and with, with, with 12 minutes left, uh, Sheena, Sunday, Umba scores a, a lovely winner. It, it was a great run, a little bit of a fortuitous deflection. Yeah. But still, uh, it, the ball ended up in the back of the net. And I mean, I'm, I'm guessing once again, you and the rest of Nigeria were quite surprised to see your team go in front again. Yeah, you, you told um, the game had, um, you know, definitely gone back in the hands of Lamushi and um, he knew exactly what he was doing. But I think the key thing that happened before that goal was the fact that Kenneth Omero had the um, confidence to intercept a loose ball, even push forward and play the ball out to the left where Sunday Bar was just standing. You know, it was you would think he was going to give the ball to Echejile on the left who was running. Um, but then um, Echejile was like a sort of decoy. Um, so he just zipped this um, short um, across um, goal. And before you knew it, Sulbamba was the one taking the flexion this time around. And of course, Uncle Barry was nowhere to be found dancing <laughs> like Gorian Makosa. And the ball just went past him. And um, Nigerians were in disbelief because... Um, yeah, like you said, Sunday Umba, who would have thought one of Keshi's, um, in the words of a lot of people, um, downfall, picking some players in a local scene. He had been with them for a year. He knew exactly what these players could do. So Sunday Umba was the hero of the day. Um, Nigeria got that goal. Ivory Coast fought. They wanted um, to level. But um, it was the day of the Eagles. And I think um, after all they've been through, the criticism, you know, Victor Moses was just urging the players not to slip at the back. Um, you know, that was where you found experienced heads, players like Vincent Tenyama in goal, Joseph Yobo, who was, um, of course, the captain, but wasn't starting, um, you know, and the team came together because during the course of this tournament, Yobo and, um, I mean, Keshi had fallen out. Um, Yobo said he didn't want to be the captain who didn't play and lifted the trophy like Keshi in 1994. <laughs> Keshi said he wasn't good enough and he wasn't really... Because I think they blamed him for the goal against um, um, Zambia, and, um, sorry, um, Burkina Faso in the opening game. So mm -hmm. there was that fight. But, Ke but Yobo was like the assistant coach, you know, standing up, telling the players not to let sleep. And it was unbelievable. Um, in Lagos, and that's how the Nigerian fans are. Um, I don't know what to how to describe them. One minute, um, they seem like um, they want you for the sacrifice in Africa. They want to offer you for ritual to the gods. The next minute, <laughs> they are praising you to high heavens and saying you are the best in after sliced bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it was just unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. night. So, so when they won the game. Did, did you know? Did it turn to uh, you know full-on expectation again? Right, we're going to win the tournament. Did they, I'm guessing that was how people reacted. Not really. No. Um, I think the fact that they had beaten Ivory Coast, um, who finished um, runners-up, I think it was a matter of now everyone coming back to be served cold umbu pie from Stephen <laughs> Keshi. Um, <laughs> it was a matter of um, the NFF. You know, they left. Rustenberg with their uh, with tail firmly between their legs and people were trying to sneak out but Keshi was looking out for them he, were, he wanted he, was, yeah. he always <laughs> wants to have the last word he always yeah. is huge laughter um, Keshi is a proper brawler man he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he wanted everyone and but they had all disappeared so no, people were not looking too far ahead 
Um, because when you look at the team they were going to play, um, with due respect, I don't think at that point they had realized they were playing play Mali or they knew already. So people weren't looking too far ahead. All they wanted to do was, you know, bask in the euphoria of this success, go yeah. on social media, listen on radio, wait for the NFF to come to the hotel room. And um, now the team secretary is in trouble. He has bought a ticket. What does he do? Did they, did they get the money back for the tickets? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, they didn't get it. Look, we are, we are broke people. We don't have money. We're always looking for money. Have you forgotten? So it was a big problem. They got into trouble with that. The oh, guy no. was, you know, so it was, uh, no, I don't think they were looking too far ahead on the night. People just wanted to win. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They, they, that game was, the, uh, they, they knew they were playing the winner of South Africa v Mali which was down in Durban, I think the following day, because I I, 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 def- I saw both games. And I remember going down to Durban and uh, you're playing South Africa in South Africa, obviously would have been a very, very different prospect of facing Mali. Mm. And that game, South Africa-Mali, was, was an absolutely incredible occasion. Um, it, I, just, I just remember, you know, it's in that amazing stadium in Durban, the, the Moses Madiba Stadium. Mm. And... Um, the the I just remember the the national anthem before and it was a real sort of hairs on the back of the neck because uh, that probably was the South Africa's best moment in the last ten fifteen years uh, on mm. a football pitch uh, and then Marley went and won it um, and I, I think had, had had it been against South Africa in the semi final would have been would have been much harder yeah, I don't I mean the one thing after the after the goal and it was one of those goals you, you, know, you sometimes get when even though there was still twelve minutes to go. It just deflated the opposition, and yeah. Cote d'Ivoire barely threatened. Apart from uh, there's a, uh, I think it's Tiote who plays the ball into the box to uh, I think it's Lucina Traore who gets it, and he's got Drogba to one side of him, Yaya to the other, and he fractionally hesitates. It's almost like having the two choices of, of you know, do I lay off to to, to right to the left? Maybe I have a shot, and that just allowed Mikel to to get a tackle in, and it's a brilliantly timed tackle. It's right in the middle of the box. If he gets that wrong by a fraction of a second, it's a penalty. But he doesn't. He times it just right. But that really was the only chance that Cote d'Ivoire had in the last 12 minutes. Mm. Well, they marched on to the semi-final, of course, and, and handily beat Mali 4-1, setting up a final with Burkina Faso, uh, which you know was a replay of their, their first-round game, which has ended 1-0. I mean, what, what was the mood like in, in Nigeria and among the Nigerian press, Sheena, when, when they... they, they Beaten the Mali four one in the semi finals, you know, very very you know convincing result. They're in the final against Burkina Faso, a side that they they know they can beat. Surely that people were behind the side and getting behind Keshi at this point. No, I think it was after the win against Mali that people actually got behind Stephen Keshi. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> they hadn't, you know, like um, before this tournament in 2013. We shouldn't forget that um, Samson Siasia, who was coach before Stephen Keshi, the man he replaced. Um, had failed to qualify Nigeria for the AFCON in 2012. It was the first time Nigeria didn't qualify in 25 years. So um, I think going there, after announcing the squad and then the struggles, the way the team was, I think people just didn't believe anything. So w- w- the way and manner they beat um, Mali was a comprehensive victory um, against Mali. And people were like, okay, you know, Super Eagles don't go for nil ahead. No, no, they don't. They are always struggling. Their wings are always clipped. So it was a matter of two egos in Durban. And the way they beat Mali, then fans now turned up and said, guess what? We are playing Burkina Faso. At that point, we weren't sure if um, Jonathan Petroipa was going to be cleared to play in the final. Um, you know, Kaf had to come in um, on the eve of the game to say you, you will play. Um, you know, fans are like, okay, cool. We struggled against them on that terrible pitch in Esprit. 
come bring us to the um to the soccer city stadium mm-hmm. we need to be them and you start asking yourself are these not the same over 180 million people who wanted the coach gone who wanted everyone <laughs> gone now they were all, all supporting the team and then you know the nigerian fans in south africa just for you to understand there's a huge nigerian community in south africa especially in johannesburg and so they all turn up and south african and south africa and nigeria don't get along so you saw the south africans they they were obviously for the burkina bees they wanted burkina faso to win um there's that um on the fine relationship between it's all it's a matter of who is the giant of africa nigeria believe in size and population before south africa and the apartheid era ended nigeria always felt like the big brother in africa South Africa came with a big economy and all of that. So there's this arrogance. Um, our music is better than yours. Our women are more beautiful than yours. We play better football. You stole our trophy in 96 because we didn't come there. Um, we gave it to Mandela because we needed to honor him. So there's this. <laughs> there's this. Right, okay. you know. So um, for the final, Nigerian fans turned up and unbelievable nights. Sunday by again. Um, I don't know where the time well. was, but I was definitely for the first time as a journalist celebrated Nigerian final victory because, um, you know, it was a long time we celebrated something good, um, you know, Olympic gold in 96. And now Stephen Keshi, I, 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 I was happy for him. I felt like uh, people were unfair to him. And um, that victory actually, before every other thing that happened, that sealed Stephen Keshi's place in the hearts of millions of Nigeria as undoubtedly one of the finest coaches to have come out of Nigeria. Absolutely. Srinar, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this uh, this match and this tournament as well. Uh, and of course, talking about the, the late, great Stephen Keshi. Um, but yeah, a, a, a great and needed win for, for Nigeria. And it was nice as well that, that Sunday Umba, who, who played the majority of his career in Nigeria, would later play in uh, towards the end of his career, in, I think France and, and Turkey very briefly. But it was nice for uh, a guy who, who played locally in Nigeria to score the winning goal. Um, and what a goal it was, Jonathan, a beautiful finish. Oh, yeah, fantastic goal. Yeah, yeah. And it just, yeah, it was just the, the ultimate vindication for Keshi. Mm. But even yeah. then, you know, the press conference after the final, <laughs> the thing I still remember is still all these rumors coming in. He's going to be sacked. Renault's going to get the job. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It never ends. It's never a dull moment with the Nigeria national football team. I think um, I think I think just um if it's if you still have time, it's important to also realize something that for Stephen Keshi, not just vindication, it was also the, the, the beginning of his fight for African countries to truck up to trust to put their trust in African managers. Um he often spoke he often um, spoke about this openly, but for him, as a Nigerian, winning the AFCON um, as the first Nigerian to lead the team to success, it, it was a matter of put your trust in us. As Africans, as mm. um, Nigerians, trust us, local managers, and we can do it. So for, for Stephen Keshi, it was more than just a vindication. It was an opportunity to make the statement clear. And um, every time it comes to his anniversary, the thoughts of Nigerian fans are like, I don't, they, 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 there's a sense of, um, treating him poorly, um, even though I felt to an extent that he overstayed after the World Cup. I think he should have left um, because Nigeria didn't. The problem that started after that success in South Africa was the sole reason why Nigeria didn't qualify for the Afghan again. For I mean, two successions like two Afghans back to back, they didn't qualify. So I think for him, it was a matter of he wanted. I think he overstayed, but 
his, his place in Nigerian football history will forever um, be respected. The most successful black African coach, in my opinion, because he took Nigeria to the round of 16. I thought he should have walked away. But his legacy could not be tainted. And I think mm. that's why people still revered him back home in Nigeria. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's not just what he did with Nigeria. I mean, that clearly is the yeah you know, the, the the highlight. But don't forget, he he qualified Togo for the yeah. for the World Cup. Yeah, you know, his his achievements are extraordinary. Absolutely, Sheena, it's been a pleasure talking to you about uh, uh, this. Thank you very much for for joining us on uh, the Greatest Games, brought to you by uh, the Blizzard. Of course, do check out theblizzard.co.uk for more stories like this. But until next week, thank you very much, Sheena. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, as always. Cheers, thank you. Very, very soon.